Hi everyone, thanks so much for joining us. You're listening to Transforming Conversations with Heinrich Titus. This episode is part of a series of conversations with this year's Convergence speakers. Shafa is 30 years old this year, and we're gearing up for a big celebration with fantastic speakers lined up. In this episode, Heinrich speaks to Afrika Mkhlope, a South African pastor, author, and thought leader who is known for addressing complex subjects such as racism, corruption, and idolatry. So welcome to our, uh, to our viewers and our, and our listeners, all our Shofar congregation uh, members out there. And also, if you are tuning in and you're not part of our, our Shofar family, you are most, most welcome. We're so thankful that you guys are, are able to join us. We are uh, today going to continue with uh, our series of conversations with this year's uh, Convergent Speakers. For those of you guys who don't know me, I'm, I'm Heinrich Titus. I'm the Apostolic Team Leader for our Shofar Church family. And I also have the privilege of pastoring uh, one of our Shofar congregations here in uh, in Somerset West. And uh, today I'm, 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 uh, I'm speaking to uh, Africa Mshlope, a renowned South African public speaker and author and, uh, and a thought leader, a catalytic leader. Um, and uh, Africa has been in, in ministry since, I think, 1998. Where he's pastored Good News Community Church in Port Elizabeth for, uh, I think, close to 15 years and also planting several churches during that time. He's, of course, also a regular speaker at uh, Mighty Men's Conferences, and he has been to some of our Shofar congregations. So for some of our listeners, um, he will, uh, will be a familiar face, and uh, maybe to some others, um, not that familiar. And uh, part of what we're going to do today is just to give you a bit of a glimpse into Africa the Man, and the minister and uh, 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 the uh, cultural thought shaper as well. And uh, so Africa, you've been in ministry now for a long time, my brother. I, I think um, it's probably, uh, we, we're celebrating 50 years this year, 30 years uh, for, for Shofar since the Lord gave birth to, uh, to our church uh, in Stellenbosch in 1992. And, mm. um, you know, it's a significant time for us in terms of just celebrating what God has done. And also looking forward to, to what the Lord still wants to do um, uh, in us and, and through us. And so we've been through ups and downs. Uh, and I think, you know, that goes for anyone who's, who's been in ministry for uh, any, any number of months, even, or years. We, we know those, yeah. those journeys, say, from the mountains to the, to the, to the valleys. Um, but, you know, for you, where did your, where did your ministry call start? And, and maybe just give us a sort of a broader picture view. Um, when you first feel, feel called to, to ministry, I mean, you, you, you're an author, you, you engage with political leaders as well, you address quite a lot of cultural issues, um, uh, you travel quite a bit as well, but um, how, how would you define your, maybe your, your calling, uh, my brother? Um, you know, when did the Lord call you and sort of what was burning in your heart during that, that, those first years? And, and maybe I'd be interested to know as well, did that change over the, over the years? But maybe take me back to the genesis. How did, how did Africa <laughs> end up being where it is right now? Where did it all start for you? Well, um, I, I, I want to tell people I'm not one of those people who heard an audible voice. And the people who, who hear voices, like, yeah. uh, I'm not one of those guys. Um, I, I wish I did, but I was, I, was, uh, I was actually studying in Cape Town, and believe it or not, in, in, 90, in 97. Mm-hmm. I, I, I finished matric in 96, but I didn't get a, a, an exemption. I got a conditional exemption. So I had to come to a college that was formed in, in Ronnebosch that was there to do a bridging course for those who could not have a university entrance. And so I was only for a year and therefore it will bridge you to other UCT, UWC, then Peninsula. 
uh, Technicon. And so I, I came and, and as a result, I, I attended at his people, Baxter um, and Paul Daniel. And so I, and then I joined the Baptist school. I was just one year saved then, just because saved in 96. And so, so there I was and, uh, and, and loved the church and, and then there was Bible school. So I joined Bible school. Um, it didn't clash with my studies. It was on a Tuesday evening, so it was convenient. I had no idea of being called a minister. Uh, Bible school for me was, because the way they marketed it was for you to know the word. And uh, it was never about calling. So that's what I did and um, enjoyed it. And I came back to my church, and, but I couldn't continue with my studies. Um, I, financially, um, I normally I tell students that fees do not fall during the time they, they actually were rising. <laughs> so, so I didn't have the benefit of fees falling. <laughs> so, so I came back to PE where I'm from uh, with no prospects really of, of doing anything. But, but towards the end of the year um, at the college there, I was beginning to be involved in a number of things. Um, and I didn't just happen by itself. I would be involved in this committee. I've been involved in this, and and I found myself just being involved in a number of things as yeah. for students, um, house yeah. calm, and um, newspaper publication. We're the first group of students at that college that published a year plan and this and that things that were other students tried but they couldn't accomplish. And uh, so I came back to my church and excited about what I've learned, excited about the, the Bible school exposure I had. And I would, I would offer my pastor my notes uh, and I would teach um, whatever opportunity I had, anywhere I had opportunity, any audience I would have. And for instance, I would teach about the Holy Spirit. I would teach the notes from Bible school as they were. I didn't alter anything. Point number one, the Holy Spirit is not a, is a person, it's not, a, it's not a force. Point number two, the Holy Spirit <laughs> helps us to speak in time. Point number three. <laughs> That's what I did. And then, strangely enough, he manifested every time. I mean, I was in all those going on, and I would just teach the notes. Holy Spirit will move, people will be baptized, will be healed, there'll be super, supernatural occurrences. I didn't know what that was going on. I still didn't think I was called. I just thought I was a brother, just helping um, my pastor and uh, just loving, just assisting wherever I'm called and I'm required, whether it's youth or it's my home group, yeah. home cell group, we call it. And whatever was required, um, I was just happy to participate. It's only late on, I think, 98 or so, when my pastor started itinerating and evangelizing around my community, our communities, and he asked us to assist him, um, we said yes, of course. At that time, my friend and I, who were also in the same church, were thinking of just going around to schools um, and just preaching. The, we had a vision. The vision was so, so small, so narrow. We're just going to buy a computer, print gospel tracks, and go to schools and distribute tracks. That was a, that's how far our vision went. <laughs> so he then asked us to join him. We just looked at ourselves and we thought, Vessel be us doing our vision, which is going nowhere. And, Vesa, and, and, and joining this man who was so charismatic, and I got born again under him, so gifted. And he thought he asked us to go and pray about it. So we left his house. Uh, um, you know, presumably to pray about it, but we just thought, what is there to pray about? <laughs> it was like, it was so obvious. So, in 98, as young people, we, we, we joined him at generating again, not because we felt called per se, but we felt this is the right thing to do. And that's how ministry, so I, I but I would say I, I merged into ministry unintended. Mm -hmm. As a marriage, I was like a brother helping. 
loving the work of God, loving what God was doing and thinking I should do something along whatever is being done. And that's how I discovered much later, of course, that you are actually called brother. This is called a calling. Yeah. There's an anointing over you. And, yeah. and as I was spent months myself and him uh, talking about ordination, I didn't understand why I should be ordained. We back and forth, I, I disagreed with him. I didn't want to be called a pastor. I thought I'm already fine. I'm, I'm a brother. I am helping. It's good. It's good enough for me. He just said, no, that's more than a brother. That's the call of God over your life. And eventually I had to accept that. Yeah. yeah. But that's fantastic. That's brilliant. You know, one of the, one of the things that we are really trusting God for now at, uh, at Convergence this year is, is really for, um, you know, everyone to again receive that that renewal and just the outpouring of the Holy Spirit and that empowerment mm-hmm. to understand again that it is all of us, you know, uh, who've been called to do the work of the ministry. Um, and and I think sometimes as as ministers of the gospel, maybe we can raise the bar so high in terms of. Even, even the expectations we create of, of how you need to hear God's voice or the supernatural encounter and call from God, then many people could maybe feel, man, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't feel that or I don't, I don't sense that or I didn't have that massive encounter with God. And therefore, maybe I'm not called or I'm just called to be a teacher or I'm, I'm just called to be a nurse or I'm just called. You know, whereas there is no such thing as just called. <laughs> we are all called <laughs> yeah. with a magnificent yeah. calling. Yes. And I think, you know, um, it, it would be incredible for you to, um, I think, just speak into that a little bit. And so I was very interested because it sounds to me like some of the steps um, in your journey of your calling has all been about your positioning. Yeah. Um, and if, if I hear you correctly, it was all about that positioning uh, 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 of the heart yeah. in yeah. terms of obedience uh, yes. and not despising the day of small beginnings. I mean, from from handing out those tracks the vision of handing out tracks at schools. I mean, now you are a well-known author, <laughs> you know? um, but yeah. that wasn't your initial vision. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. I think that, you know, I think it's, I think now it's even, hopefully it's better for young people because there's now training, there's mentoring. Um, I think for me, my pastor was that mentor, but informally. We didn't have the language. We didn't have the, the terms for, for, for it as we do now. But, but I think there was a platform that was there, which made one feel welcome, which made one feel useful. And I didn't know the titles. I didn't know what it's called. It was not important then, perhaps as if people are making an issue of it today. But to feel, to feel that you're useful to God in any form, to me, is the most important thing. And I, I often think to myself, I mean, it's, it's, it would have been enough for God just to have saved me. That's, that's, there's nothing else he should, have been done, he should have done. The fact that he chooses to use me Perplexes me. I'm like, you should. You could have just saved me, and that would be enough. That you think that I'm worthy to preach your gospel. I'm like, what? <laughs> so, I think all of us should have the sense that any way God can use you should be should be great. Mm-hmm. As you're right, the fact that we make it some kind of a hierarchical order, some kind of who's more important, makes people think there's something else to strive for. Maybe being an ash is not good enough. Maybe going on mission is not good enough. Maybe I must be the apostle. Maybe I must be this. Whereas David says one day in the cross of the Lord is better than a thousand days elsewhere. You know, it's, I mean, just to know Jesus is the most important. There are people who worship trees, mountains, animals, and others are demonized because they don't know any better. Um, others are atheists. Others are angry at God. And 
And the fact that you wake up every morning in a good attitude towards God, I'm not saying you're perfect, and you understand your name is written in the book of, of, of life. And Jesus says in the book of Luke chapter 17, do not rejoice that the devils come out. Rejoice that your names are written. Mm-hmm. And so to think that one can have the privilege and then somehow, as Paul calls it, the grace appears to me. And somehow he wants to make me, makes me his spokesperson. He wants to make his appeal through me. He wants to, I'm like, wow. So I think that we actually are correct. Our, our generation has a responsibility to present the right thing to people, um, mm-hmm. to people that, that look up to us. I mean, a lot of people look up to me. I'm aware of that. But I'm always trying to express to them that I'm not a self-made man. One, I didn't just make myself what I am. I'm a product of other people's input. Two, I'm not reaching anything so unattainable. I'm actually an example of what could be attained. As opposed to being an example of what unattainable, I'm an example of what could be attained when you simply obey God. You know, it's simply, it's, I'm simply should be demonstrating that actually it is possible to serve God when you simply become uh, ordinary, um, simple, um, no air around you, and just be obedient day to day, actually God can use anybody who just becomes available to him, no matter what mm. background they come from. Mm. Mm. But then, you, um, then, you, then you're hitting at the heart of, uh, of, a, of a few uh, crucial issues when it comes to leadership. Um, I think there's, uh, there's a big temptation at times to to feel special as a leader. So there's an area of inaccessibility, uh, you know, um, and, 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 and to democratize almost the, just the, the calling of God, um, the sense that the Holy Spirit has, has been given to be poured out upon everyone and for us not to monopolize uh, the voice of God and the call of God. I think that's one of the big um uh, motivations in our heart as well is to is to really just see those barriers come down and and see people understanding that you know that um, the spirit has been given to to all of us. Um, my brother, I'm 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 thinking about you know your journey. And by the way, I, I see you talk about us as a generation, and so you know I suppose we'd be the Gen Xs, uh, you know the. 70s and uh, <laughs> uh, 80 guys, you know, um, having grown up during during that time, and um, I hate to think of myself like that, but um, we are becoming part <laughs> that um, that is having to think about, you know, how we're going to raise up the next generation. Yeah, that's that's our responsibility. Indeed, we cannot run away from that. Especially that um, you know they they there's I mean you know South African situation with a lack of fathering, um, and so that some people have not even grasped these concepts from home. I'm one of those people when I were raised without a father, and so we also play a dual role in the sense that of um, you know being there to help people. Are we still there? I'm sorry, my brother, I lost you. <clears throat> Okay. Could you maybe could you maybe just start um, start again? Sorry, I I lost you there just at the beginning for your response. I, I was I was saying that with the lack of fathering in South Africa, um, it becomes even much more important um, to play a role where you don't just become there as a preacher to people, um, but you you become there as as a mentor. In other words, you journey with people outside the pulpit. Um, as much as we spend the pulpit for forty minutes for five minutes and share the gospel. But people need more than that. They need to be people to journey with them in real life issues. 
And so I think, yeah, I would agree with you. We have a bigger responsibility than just spend, standing yeah. behind the pulpit. Yeah, yeah. You mentioned you mentioned the fathering. You mentioned the role that um, the pastor played in your life. You know, and whom you got saved and discipled. Um, you know, what do you think makes for someone? You know, let's take ourselves. Uh, got saved at varsity or discipled at varsity. Um, things, you know, um, really began to move forward in our lives. Uh, but we see many, many um, students having an encounter like that. We see uh, people then starting to work, uh, married, family life start. And then sometimes the, the passion that was there initially, uh, you could go on mission trips, you could, you could do those things, you know. Um, how, how do you how do you maintain that that passion? Just in in terms of your life, what what have you found really made it made a difference for that transition? You know, to take place and not just for it to be limited to like five years of your life when you were young, um, but there was actually a growth in that and it developed into something more. Were there maybe on the, maybe a twofold question? The one was, you know, were there some obstacles for you just as a young man? growing in in ministry um, that you had to overcome and what helped you to overcome that and then just how do you maintain the fuel how do you how do you how do you maintain the passion um you know after after uh, all these years in ministry seeing uh, a lot of disappointment and seeing a lot yeah. of the sometimes the hypocrisy in church and, and seeing the infighting and you know and having the disappointments and all of those things um yeah, so maybe just chat with us a little bit around uh, around around that. Just your your early days and um, yeah. maybe some of the stumbling blocks you encountered. Yeah, well, um, a part of them was was the whole issue of provision, and it was a big deal. Uh, our church is in the township, so um, so provision. Um, we joined the pastor, so we are all volunteers. And uh, I come from a from a poor background as it is, and I joined the ministry. So I had a lot of people coming to me. Um, discouraging me about this, saying that's, that's irresponsible. And, and they were well-meaning. And others were even brought, bring me job applications, uh, deliver them into my, to, uh, to me and tell me, look, VW is hiring, this company is hiring, uh, stop this nonsense. One, one, one lady, well-meaning, said to me, are you going to eat the Holy Spirit? You know, so how are you going to live? <laughs> so, and this, these are people, those people in church, they were not outsiders, they're not unbelievers. They were well-meaning uh, people. And, uh, and so that was the one thing that, that hit me as a young man, knowing that you're going to get married, knowing that you have to raise a family and, uh, and the ministry having no guarantees of provision and certain things like that. And, and, and the other thing that I think happened is, was the issue of dualism, where um, one, there's a whole sacred secular divide, a false narrative, of course, false dualism, where, where one believes that you know, there's a sacred place where I, I, I serve God, and then I go to the secular space where I do my thing. I think if one cannot make it with God without destroying that that that, that wall, mm. that, that false um, wall there. Mm. So I then had to learn, obviously through discipleship, that God, um, when He calls us to do His work, He provides the means for us to do what we need to do. He's not He's not an irresponsible God. And uh, his, your gifts that he's given you will open doors for you. So I realized that from a young age, I love writing. I love critical thinking. Um, and, and then I realized that my talents, pre-salvation uh, awareness of talents, those talents that I was always had, God had given them for me to use them also in ministry. There's nothing that is off, just out there off in the devil or 
that does not belong to the kingdom of God. So my curiosity for knowledge um, was given by God, and he needs to use it in the ministry. And it's also part of my provision, part of my family's uh, life. And so when I started to narrow the gap between this kind of dualism and, and seeing God as, as somebody, sometimes, we, you know, as preachers, we can actually be angry at God, disappointed at God, but secretly, not, not make people aware that secretly we, we are disappointed at God and how things have turned out. You know, things didn't turn out the way we thought they would turn out. I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't kept on, I wanted to do IT. That was my dream. Uh, because when I looked at Sunday Times, then they would publish their careers and the incomes that people earn a year. So I thought I looked at programming. It looked like the thing to do financially. Not that I had any love for computers. So I was driven by materialism. And until I realized that, well, that's the wrong motivation. So I, and then I obviously, by the grace of God, my pastors, although they started a church in a poor community, where were not that, that poor themselves, they're well off with the, the founder was a businessman and they brought his brother-in-law who were doing okay. So I saw an example of people who were balanced, uh, families were intact. Um, you know, they were one vehicle each, but it was a vehicle, they had some provision. So I also, it, it helps to be uh, surrounded by uh, people like that who are healthy, who have healthy lifestyles to model yours around theirs. You know, it's, it doesn't help a young man to start out and the next thing is that a pastor who is caught up in, in, in scandals, uh, whether financial scandals or, or moral issues, it doesn't set a good tone. So my pastor, um, who I got to know before he was married, and then attended his wedding in 99, uh, 97, whatever, in, in, in Johannesburg, City Game. So, so having seen him in the marriage, um, you know, for all these years and having seen his integrity, his prayer life and his, his generosity then helps me in a way to say, if he, God can do it for him right in front of me, what, what makes me think God will not do it also for me? And so I think that one of the things I, I, I think young people need to catch is it helps to be in a good family mm. in terms of church. It helps a lot. It doesn't answer everything, but it answers some things. To be in a good, stable church with a history and, and doctrine that is correct, that is loves Jesus at, at the center, and, and, and you know, not, not the man of God kind of thing. It does help you to have church that values family, that values healthy living, you know, that values a wholeness, that, that preaches the whole gospel. Um, you know, there will be challenges there as well, but it does help to know that there's brother so-and-so I can talk to, who has expertise in this, or can help me with this, or the sister so-and-so. I'm not alone here. There's people here who have walked this journey who can actually share some insights to me as I go. So it does help to the environment where it's not just one man for himself. You know, it's a one-man show or it's an, you're an island and you're just doing your own thing. So that's why I always find amazing guys who go out and start their own ministry out of, out of a discontent or out of uh, uh, whatever issues they had, conflict. And I'm thinking to myself, I mean, that's just, and I've had lots of colleagues around me who have done that and I've never done it. But if we've planted ministries together, because number one, as you know, the, the burden and the load is so much better shared than you carrying it by yourself. You know, um, what's the point? Unless, you know, God can speak to anybody. I'm sure he spoke to the founder of Shofar. It didn't exist until somebody had launched out. But now that it's launched out, you know, God, why, why would God want another competitor to Shofar from somebody from Shofar, which does the same thing Shofar is doing? You know, why not extend Shofar's impact? And, and also, 
because then there's a base of learning and mistakes, resources, mm-hmm. um, models, and uh, you know, I can just give you my mistakes as a lesson so you don't have to do them. I've, I've already saved years of repeating what I've done. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's, uh, that's, that, that's so helpful. I think just journeying through... Um, you know some of those some of those challenges and obstacles. Uh, I, th- I think it's very real in in our country. People that that um, want to obey God, um, but at the same time also have to have to make a living. What does it look like? And what does that obedience look like? What does the obedience cost you? Um, and and of course, I think then for for the generation that that has been through some of those challenges and, and have more resources available. Resources in terms of experience, resources in terms of physical resources. I think there is a there, there there's a big responsibility upon one generation to raise up the next. Um, you know, and I think that is part of of our heart. Really, is to see different generations um, coming together and learning from each other. That the the Joshua and the Caleb's, you know, we need to learn from Moses, even as they themselves are leading uh, the next generation to go to go forward. Um, so so so. Living your life, growing in ministry, um, being involved in church, um, beginning to write, um, and then you you obviously start addressing some issues: uh, um, racism, uh, corruption, idolatry, you know, all sorts of different uh, things that that syncretism. You know, uh, uh, you you start just challenging those things. Uh, um, how did that come about? Was that also part of? The mentorship that you that you had was just this stuff you saw in, in the gospels and in, in the word, or you know, was born out of personal frustration. And how, how did that come about? Uh, was were there some specific defining moments, maybe as far yeah. as you tackling? Yeah. So let's call it social issues or issues of the day. Uh, yes, um, yes. I think that there's one defining moment or an epiphany, as others would call it. Um, where I was in UCT, not a student there, but I was going to Bible school um, for um, his people. And uh, not actually before I even got to know about his people, I had only heard about them. And, and then I was going to look for them the, where they are. But for, and I always tell them now, when I, now that I relate with them and I tell them how bad the advertisement was, then they, they laugh. <laughs> because I got to Baxter. I could hear the music, but I didn't know where they were. And, I, and so I said, guys, you were so bad. You know, you almost missed people go to church. So there I was at Baxter looking around and I couldn't, I just heard the music and it was, sounded exciting, whatever it's coming from, but I don't know where, I'm, I mean, I've never been to a building. And then the other two, so I, first Sunday, I tried, didn't get hold of them. Having gone there, we walked there. Then I walked back again the next Sunday. Uh, sometime in the week, I walked back. And I remember standing in the stairs of UCT. And I meet, and I saw two black gentlemen carrying Bibles, dressed nicely, you know, some, you know black people when they go to church. So dressed nicely. And then I, I asked them, you know, are they going to the peaceful church? These guys answered to me um, casually, calmly. Calmly, they said to me, no, we are not. We don't fellowship with those white people. Um, so I stood there as a young man, 97, at the stairs of UCT overlooking Cape Town. And I thought to myself, if a Christian can give that kind of an answer concerning another Christian, I don't want to be part of their fellowship. I would have even gone to their fellowship, these guys as well, if they told me where it is. I, I, didn't, I was not like I was sold out against people, but I wanted to go to church. 
But the answer they gave concerning these people, people, which of course were not only white, they were multiracial, multicultural, but the answer they gave told me that they don't deserve to have me in their fellowship. So I made a, I made a commitment in my heart as a young man, never to be part of anything that defines Christians in those crude terms. You know, so that's one of the things that for that to me stands out as a quality decision that I think the Lord brought me into. So I had got to read the gospel and I, for me, my reading of the gospel is that it speaks and addresses all contemporary and contentious issues, but we just choose not to read it in those areas. It, it does it deal with social justice. It deals with racial, with racial reconciliation. It deals with conflict. It deals with equity. It deals with everything. We just choose to avoid what it says. So when I read the Bible talks about the Ministry of Reconciliation in 2 Corinthians uh, 5, I never understood why anybody thinks they're exempt from that ministry, where Paul talks about the ministry of as a church minister, not as an individual minister. So I felt ministry is not something you opt in or opt out of. But I didn't feel like I have an option not to participate, to be part of antagonism and hostility towards others. When Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers, I'm like, he didn't, he didn't bless anybody but peacemakers. So if you're not a peacemaker, you, you're exempt from that blessing. And it even said, blessed are the peacekeepers. He didn't ask you to keep peace. He asked you to make peace. Meaning he asked you to jump into conflict and diffuse it and bring the fragrance of peace. That takes a lot than just being mm. a peacekeeper. You know, so I read the gospel as a radical message. I don't, I don't respond to social arranged engineering that one must be brought together racially because it's a politically correct thing to do. I feel that's debased. I feel there's a higher calling for us to be part of the conciliation. We are responsible for it because we are accountable to the Father for this project. We are accountable to politicians who, by the way, are motivated by not, not, not by the true uh, godly intentions, but by their own selfish uh, intentions in talking about this thing. We have a higher divine call to be reconciled one to another. So I never felt that it's a, it's a struggle for me. I felt that given the past years, given the things that have happened in South Africa, but again, I, I normally say to people, we, we act as if God was not here. We act as if God is ignorant. We, we, we are, I, call it, we are call it, I call it Christian atheism. We have an idea of God in our mind, but we live as if it doesn't exist. We act as if God is not aware of our unique circumstances and conditions, that we're not aware that we one of the most ethnically diverse countries in the world, that we have these difficulties. But when we bring solutions, we, we, we bring solutions as if God is not part of the, the solutions. So I believe God is aware of everything and has an answer for everything, but is waiting for those who have the humility to seek him for those answers. So, so therefore, when it comes to ancestralism and, and, and being bound by a cult, again, I read the Bible and I look, it makes sense to me. It's clear that there is no black way of worshiping God. There's no white way of worshiping God. And therefore, if there is an inherited pattern of behavior, of belief, doesn't matter how long it has been part of my culture, but if it contradicts the word, and I feel the word has such a preeminence, I don't feel I have to be loyal to that culture or system. And I believe Jesus has done enough for me, for me to, to give him my 100% loyalty. Um, and there's nothing else he needs to do for me to commit to him any further. In fact, I need to commit to him more. I'm looking for more ways to commit here. To commit to him any less is not appreciating what he has done, not seeing it from my eyes being blinded. So I, I really believe that when, when it comes to idolatry or syncretism or the, the vocation of the dead in, in with regards to God, one, I think, is obviously based on ignorance. 
but again, it's based on politicization of, 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 of faith, is, is believing that we can actually set our own faith system here based on our own background and conditions. And we can ignore God and just redefine Christianity to suit our narrative. And then we then put God into it um, as, an, as, as an addition. So I feel it's an insult to God for us to, to make up doctrine. We don't make truth, we discover truth. Mm. So when I discover what God is saying in his word, I feel the only response you, you do to truth is to obey it. Um, and so I, I'm, I'm committed to that. But, but another blessing I believe God has given me um, is, is critical thinking. And so um, it's sometimes a burden, of course, because I question everything, including myself. Uh, so, and then I'm often accused in my church by, by my staff that, you, you know, they can't get away with anything because I'm going to ask them questions. Why did this happen? How did you, how did you arrive at this? So you had two options and then you chose this one. Tell me why you chose. <laughs> so they don't look forward to talk to me because I'm going to be asking a lot of questions. So why did you decide this way or against that way? And then there was this. So, so I, you know, I don't people apply their minds. I'm like that, you know, so therefore, if somebody says to me, Africa, do this, the first thing I'm going to ask is why. And if you can't ask, answer me why, I'm not, I'm not inclined to do it. You know, if you say to me, slaughter this animal, I'm like, why? So nobody could say to me, hate white people, hate white colored people, and without explaining to me why. And it has to make sense. I cannot do it because you say so. Look, okay, you call yourself a bishop now. I'm saying, why? Like, why am I a bishop? Why, why? And I'm already a bishop, I'm, I'm overseeing. Everybody's a bishop, a pastor, so why must it be especially allocated to me? Because I'm episcopus is an overseer. I'm an overseer, we're all overseers. So why must I make a category here? Uh, give, me the doc, give me the theology behind it. I'll do it if it's in the word, but I won't do it because you say so. So I always felt that we should think like that, like it's just a barrier. So therefore it has been easy for me to look at cultural patterns and behaviors and even sociological issues in South Africa and be able to see what's right or wrong and be able to speak into it. Because number one, I, I, I critical, but also another thing that um, people often cite or point out is that I, I speak straight. So I have the tendency and it gets me into trouble. Um, I just I just call it as it is. So I'm not sure if it's good or bad, but <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't have the patience to go around. I just call it what it is. So I go to Mighty Man and I tell the guys there, uh, straight on that the racism is demonic. If you have race, if a racist, they must, they must, you've got demons that must be cut off you. But I'm always using that metaphorically. Um, but I tell them that if you're racist, the devil is in you. No God is in you. There's no way. If God is in you, you would have loved me because he loves me. You would love me like my father loves me. You hate me, but the devil who hates me is in you. The only the only one who hates me. And therefore, um, and then and then again, then they invite me again. And then they invite me again. And I'm like, why? And then I realized, they then say to me, we invite you because you tell us straight. Mm. And I'm like, okay. Well, then I'll keep telling you straight. Mm. And I go on. Again, if I go there and then that year there's an aphobic attacks in South Africa, they happened one year against black Africans. I will address it also there. I'm not only addressing racism. It's a gender-based violence. And it's, so I believe that um, we are truth tellers as ministers and we're not necessarily supposed to be seeking convenience. Of course, that doesn't mean it must be confrontational. Um, we need to have ways of addressing truth. Sometimes it's seminars, sometimes it's one on one, sometimes it's two people aside. Yeah. Um, wisdom is necessary there, and obviously using love yeah. as a foundation. But I don't believe we should we should hide away. Yeah, one thing I think that we appreciate about about you, my brother, is that um, 
you do not shy away from the truth, but at the same time, you, you are also able to build bridges towards people because I think sometimes you also need to earn the right to speak into, into people's lives. And I think as part of the Ministry of Reconciliation, that's so beautiful. I mean, that's 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 so good. Um, you you know, um, where where do you think? Maybe just lastly, as as we wrap up, where, where do you think uh, the church is at with regards to the current narratives that's happening in South in South Africa? Maybe just from your perspective, um, what is what what are some of the the undercurrents that you are hearing, seeing? Sort of the major narratives that's happening in our country, and, and where's the church at from your perspective in terms of of addressing that and speaking and speaking into into that? So, so maybe just you know, what what do you sort of what what are you seeing is happening? What do you see is God doing? And 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 how can we as a church? Well, maybe are we partnering with God, and how can we partner more with Him in terms of being part of that conversation and being part of the solution? Yeah, I would love to see um, our screen to see us about this. I would love to see for us if be intentional about raising uh, people of color um, to to in meaningful positions of, of church, not not as a token, um, but because I feel like they are not necessarily precluded um, by any by structures of church. There is there's 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 a lot of um, internalized inferiority. There's a lot of barriers that come from backgrounds, and um, and I tell white people a simple thing that having growing up with your own bedroom. And your own even pocket money and even allowance money has set you a foundation of independence, and therefore which makes it easy for you to lead and be assertive. And somebody who didn't have those those basic things struggles just to lift up their heads and speak direct to people eye to eye without looking down. So we need to be intentional about addressing those those things because they limit the impact of the gospel. Because we need to indigenize the gospel without necessarily obviously um, moving away from the centers, which is Christ. So a multiracial congregations for me need to be multicultural. Um, they need to move away just from being uh, colors together, but to be embracing a, a multiculturalism, which, which is at the center, of course, the kingdom of God. So that's one thing we need. Yesterday, I was speaking to a guy called Brad Hatherstein, not sorry, on Monday, I was interviewing this from the state in Virginia, and he, and he spoke about the prevalence of pornography uh, among Christians, even among pastors. So he gave me the statistics which are shocking. Then I asked him the question, what's the solution? He looked at me. He didn't offer me anything that I thought he would say. He said to me, revival. And then, and then also, and then said revival and also something about uh, electricity cut off. Something like, uh, it, there's two things. We go back to Stone Age where we don't know access to electricity or, or data or, or, or smartphones. And two, we go with revival. I mean, because, I mean, <laughs> I didn't think that it would ask, but think about it. And the, I mean, we can we can I can talk about all kinds of sociological issues and and structures and and demographic this or scientific this and that. We can try, but one thing can solve the whole thing. Holy Spirit move, blanket the whole country. Nobody looks at somebody and say they are black, they are white, they are girl, they are they are women. Nobody has a discussion about should the women speak in church, should they not speak. We are not even thinking whether I'm hungry. What car I drove this morning to church. We will all be doing one thing, like the Book of Acts, you know. So I think ultimately, other solutions they pale in comparison to the whole move of God feeling this nation. So I think the hunger for the Holy Spirit move will be the ultimate thing that we would have to gravitate towards. It solves all our problems, you know. If you look at the problems of Adam and Eve when they started uh, the Garden of Eden, if you look at it, 
the sin of man, it, it has to do with proximity to God. When they fell, the first thing they do was to hide from God. So sin causes distance between us and God. And therefore, what to break that distance is a solution. So in other words, I'm more inclined to sin the more distant I am from God. But the closer I am to God and the fire of God is on me, the more the taste of sin is just goes away from me. You know, so the taste of discrimination will go away from me. The taste of hatred or hostility or corruption or greed or idolatry um, or anything that I'm still being, uh, being uh, struggling with. The closer I am to Jesus, the more I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, the more I'll look, I'll see the Ethiopian eunuch across and go to his chariot and sit with him and share the gospel without being concerned about his background, his status, his race. It'll be much easier, but I can't do that. The, the more distant I am from God, the more I am aware of self and others and othering of others and my status, my articulation, my background, my qualification. So, you know, so therefore, sometimes insecurities are based on proximity to God. I'm not saying we don't have such things as being introverted or having personality traits or temperaments, but I'm thinking even the attachment to those things is proximity to God. Because no one, even introvert, who's full of the Holy Spirit will be an introvert anymore. They'll let out and shout and speak, you know? So God can take care even of our indecrescences and even our limitations. Some people were stammerers when they got born again. Stutterers, they couldn't even speak properly. And they tell me that the Holy Spirit just loosened their tongues and they were able to speak. I think Smith Wigglesworth was, we could not read a writer, I'm told. A lot of things the Holy Spirit can do that we are trying to do over years and years and years of and labor and labor. Mm. Amen. That's so good. That's so good. Um, and I'm just thinking, man, if 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 we can nail it down uh, for your your session with us, and, and we could speak, what does what does the ministry of reconciliation look like within a culture of revival? Um, I think that would be that would be brilliant. You know, uh, that's that's what we're trusting God for is. Outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a renewal and revival. But then how do we steward that? And what does that, what does good news to the poor look like within the culture of revival? What does deliverance yeah. to the captives look like? You know, what does ministry reconciliation look like? What, what does family life look like? What does it mean to be one family with different cultures within a, a within a revival culture? That would be that would be just man, that would be that would be amazing because we we trust in God, we're so thankful for the last 30 years. But we know, yes. you know, we need an acceleration from God. We need His, His Holy Spirit fire to take us forward into the next, the next uh, uh, season and phase that He has for us. I think just like Jesus, Jesus was about thirty years old when He was launched into His ministry. So we believe we're just getting started now. Wow! 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 I'm not, so, just, I'm not sure if you're aware that they they say that the, the revival in the book of Acts was about thirty years. Revival. Oh my goodness. That's what I oh. hear. Yeah. Yeah. Come on. Come on. That's that's okay. <laughs> uh, my brother, but we're looking, we we we're looking forward to having you with us. We're looking forward to some some fellowship time with you. Uh, I would love for you, maybe even we can see if, if you can come and spend some time with our pastors. And um, because I do think, you know, um just talking through raising up leaders uh that are going to reflect also what the kingdom family uh, can be like. Um, you know, is is crucial, and I think there's some barriers that that maybe we just need to chat about, um, yes. and, and things we might be unaware of. You know, that we just need to be intentional around in 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 jumping in there and seeing because yeah. we see we see we see quite a few very talented and passionate leaders coming through, 
um, you know, as young leaders, but then we sort of lose them. And there must be a reason as to why that's not translating into getting them, you know, to uh, um, become the, the, the senior leaders and, and, and walking ahead. So it'd be amazing to spend some more time with you concerning concerning that. And uh, so thank you so much for your for your time and, and to our, our, our listeners and uh, guys, uh, if you need more information on on our conference coming up, please just go to www.showforonline.org forward slash convergence. You'll see some more info there now on our speakers as well. Please diarize 14th to the 16th of October. Uh, we'll have our venues here in some of the Western and Western Cape and then also in Pretoria in Gauteng. And we are looking forward to seeing you guys joining us for that. So Africa, thank you so much for your time, brother. The Lord, the Lord bless you. We're looking forward to uh, receiving the impartation also uh, of what God is doing in your life. So, so thank you so much for, for your time this morning. We hope this conversation has blessed you and that you'll join us at Convergence. Registrations are now open. You can book your spot on our website, shofaronline.org forward slash convergence. Also keep an eye on our Facebook and Instagram pages by following Shofa Christian Church, or you can visit the website for more info about the other speakers. And be sure to listen to the other episodes in our series of speaker interviews. Music